0: to us, because it's happening right now, through us, come on sing with us, oh, shanty,
2: In 1987, some first graders were promised a college education. This came from Oral Lee Brown, who saved a large portion of her modest income, sending 19 kids to college, helping others pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at Values.com. Hi and welcome to America Meditating. We are broadcasting live from the Meditation Museum and we were just teasing Sister Gita this morning about don't come on time, be late and we know that she would actually come on time and if we told her come on time then she'll be late. What's that all about? sometimes we tend to feed the energy of the paradox it seems to stimulate us and keep us alive for some reason and sometimes if somebody says go left and go left it feels like you don't have purpose or identity but actually it just makes you be in the flow at times you just feel like you're flowing you are listening to America Meditating and we're broadcasting live from the Meditation Museum in downtown Silver Spring and I am your host Sister Jen and we're so happy that you could join us if you've been following us on the pause for peace app on your smartphone by now you pretty much know how the story has been evolving and today we had a lovely reporter over the museum and went for a ride in the america meditating rv and was the first time she'd ever been in an rv and one that offers meditation and is traveling around the nation was the cutest story for her and she was one of the most adorable people i've met in a long time what makes you you This is my question as you listen in. What makes you you? What is it that builds you up? Because we look in the mirror and we do see a particular feature or color skin or gender. But when we go inside ourselves, we tend to feel or see something else. Sometimes much of the unhappiness and insecurity in the world is a result of perhaps our limited external perception of who we think we are. But I believe that the inner spiritual identity that people are searching for and this spiritual identity can offer us hope in a variety of situations, especially when we're in a situation of despair. It can show me a solution to problems. It can inspire me to change how I'm taking my life. You know, it's through this recognition and experiencing the soul behind my eyes and the original nature of that soul's energy is love and peace and purity. But if that builds itself up in me as my narrative, I believe I can be a good contributor to the current story in our world. We are very thrilled. We're going to have Danny Shapiro on the America Meditating Show, and we're going to wait for her to tell us some beautiful things through her writing and the beautiful books that she's offered us. Before we get Danny on the line, we're going to turn to our beloved Sister Gita, who we play with and tease and enjoy her readings on a regular basis and see what she's got for us today. What do you have for us? America
3: Meditating. Just a moment book. You can get this book from the Brahma Kumaris or the Meditation Museum or Peace Village Retreat org. Now I'm choosing Eyes for Pearls of Truth. I ask the Supreme to. Move my lips as they speak. There is an old story about two types of birds. The crow is a type of bird that sees only the dirt and filth. Wherever there is rubbish, I find the crow feasting noisily. Then there is the swan. The swan is most selective. It sees only the gems and virtues. If there are pearls and pebbles, the swan selects the pearls. If there is milk and water, the swan chooses the milk. What a difference between these two birds, one feeding on the vices and rubbish and the other feasting on the virtue and gems. Today, there are crow-like as well as swan-like characteristic among the people of the world to gossip, to lie, to speak evil, to use my language as well as to listen to these is to have crow-like characteristics, to speak truth and purity, to use only the uplifting and worthwhile, and to hear only the uplifting and worthwhile is to have the characteristic of a swan. Have a swan-like day.
2: Om Shanti. Thank you. I want to be a swan.
0: <laughs> and
2: it always amazes me that... What we wish for more than anything else in the world is to be people like that, is to actually emanate the best of ourselves. But we struggle with that at times, and it's always through the doorway of algae, an acronym that I use all the time. It's like I'm known to be the algae yogi. A for anger, L for lust, G for greed, A for attachment, and E for ego. When that mixes into my narrative, I can't be a swan like I become a crow at times, and that's not what I want to make me who I'm supposed to be. That's not the direction that I believe I wish to be going in. So it's important for us to ask the question, who am I and why am I here? And we're going to turn to Danny Shapiro and see how she can answer these questions for us. But first, let me explain to you how honored we are to have Danny on our show today. She's the best-selling author of the memoirs, Devotion and Slow Motion and five novels, including Black and White and Family History. Her work has appeared in many publications, including The New Yorker, L, The New York Times Book Review, The Los Angeles Times. She has taught in the writing programs at Columbia, NYU, The New School, and Willesley University, and she's co-founder of the Siren Land Writers Conference in Positano, Italy. She's a contributing editor at Travel and Leisure and has appeared on many TV shows, including Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. Her new book, Still Writing, The Perils and Pleasures of a Creative Life, was published in October. Welcome to the American Meditating Show. We're so happy to have you on.
1: Thank you. I'm honored to be on with you.
2: Thank you. Danny, congratulations on your newest book which is already a bestseller, and you've said that everything you know about life, you've been learning from the daily practice of sitting down to write. And usually I always believe that we learn so much about life by the interacting with all the folks hmm. and things that we go through. But I want to hear what inspired you to become a writer, and how have you been learning your life lessons through writing?
1: That's a lovely question. I, um, you know, I think I was a writer long before I knew I was a writer. As a young child, I always tried to make sense out of the life around me and within me by, by storytelling, by taking you know take the life around me and trying to make sense of it on the page. When, when I grew up and I actually understood that these books that I loved so much meant that somebody had spent their lives in solitude writing them and that maybe see, I could do that, it really has become a tool for me Much the way meditating is a way of coming to know my own mind. I I often feel that I don't really know what it is that I'm really thinking and feeling and understanding until I write about it and it starts to take shape on the page. And then I think, oh, that's what's going on. That's the pattern underneath it all.
2: It sounds almost like what I'm understanding is just when those thoughts get on the paper, you can see clearly what's going on in your mind.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean it's really very similar I think to um the process of, of sitting and practice of you know of meditation where, you know, I, I think the first time I ever went on a retreat I had that feeling of oh I didn't know this pattern. I didn't know that this thought keeps coming up. Huh, look at that. And I think, you know, in, in writing there's the opportunity to try to take some of that and begin to shape it. You know, sometimes I, I refer to it as making order out of chaos or hopefully Mm -hmm. making art, making art out of chaos. Yeah, that's
2: important nowadays because we are so pushed by the acceleration of technology that I don't Mm -hmm. believe that we're really able to listen and see who we are or what we're becoming because Mm -hmm. the thoughts are moving so fast. So putting those thoughts on paper can really help us to see if we're channeling our energies in the right direction or if we're wasting our energy the things that we don't need to be engaged
1: in. Exactly. I mean it's it's then the world is getting ever noisier, you know, and we you know, the internet and, and technology can be a wonderful, wonderful tool and certainly I'm I'm very much on it, you know, and I have a blog and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter and all of that. Um but some remember that old T V commercial, anti drug commercial and there was a picture of an egg uh, I love grit, that word. You know, yeah. it's like this is your brain, and this is your brain on drugs. Sometimes uh-huh. I feel like you know, this this is your brain, and this is your brain on the internet. You know, like it's I can feel my mind just getting way too fragmented. And you know, I mean, when I in my writing life, and when I'm beginning something new, my practice is to write longhand, to move away from the computer, to sit with a notebook and and a pen, Slow down because it's the only way that I know how to have the words come at the proper pace for the words to come. You know, they don't come in a rush. They they come one at a time. Yeah,
2: I hear you. I couldn't tell you the last time I saw someone with a pencil and paper. uh
1: uh-huh. I know. I know. It's my, my, son, my son's school is all on, they're on all the kids. This is a high school. They're all on um, iPads now. The I know,
2: it's incredible. You know, about two weeks ago, I was in an international meeting call from India, along with about 80 countries. We engaged ourselves in a conversation that basically asked the question: is your mind powerful enough to deal with the situations that will come in front of you? And it was a very profound question because it challenged our spiritual sincerity and our spiritual authenticity as yogis or as meditators instruments that are living their lives to support the well-being of others. And somehow the idea emerged in my mind how much energy was being taken from my mind every time I engaged my eyes, my fingers, and my thoughts on my smartphone. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm aware that I have become cognizant to the fact that it's a means of me communicating the globe because I'm involved with 120 countries on a regular basis. And at the same token, I found myself questioning whatever happened to my power of telepathy. Like if I wanted to just talk to Danny, why couldn't I just send her a thought? And she picks right. it up and she says, let me call her. Whatever mm-hmm. happened to those days and my mind was stronger? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could just touch it at that level of thought.
1: Well, I, that's, I love that and that's so... <laughs> That's such a compelling idea, but at the same time, don't you think, I mean, I think that that all is still completely alive and completely exists, it's just that we can even not notice it or not recognize it. Like, let's say you had that thought, and I felt that thought, you know, I felt that power of telepathy, but I'm so busy, or vice versa, that that moment just kind of goes by and you think, oh, you know, you just put it on the to-do list, let's get to that later, as opposed to... Light being clear enough and human paced enough to actually have these experiences as we're having them. I mean, there's just you know, I, I I mean, I I remember once someone telling me the reason why the the phone, the the number of digits in a phone number was seven, you know, which now it's not even seven anymore. But what was seven was because that was considered to be the most that our minds could retain, you know, multiple. Mm-hmm. Telephone numbers of seven numbers, and when you think of now, what our minds are asked to retain, or not retain, because we don't even have to, you know, we just have a button that we can push for speed dial. Um, yeah, I've noticed in my own writing that my last two books, for different reasons, for both of them, both devotion and still writing, are written in a very fragmentary form. They're they're in like a, they're like a puzzle like narrative of these small pieces that, when brought all together, form a whole. Whereas my previous books were long, fluid-looking narratives. And I'm not saying I won't go back to that, but I do think that there is something in the structure of my last couple of books that also mirrors the structure that, that so many of us are living in our, in our daily lives.
2: Right, right. You know, as a soul, we're all carrying a narrative, and I think... Profoundly enough, when we hear the call and we respond to that call rather than put it on the to-do list or to be continued, we miss something very powerful, what we call in Hindi. It's a term called sattu Pradhan. And what it means, it's when the stage of the soul is in a very heightened state of silence. The scene of that soul emerges at that moment and the soul responds to it. There's a saying in ancient cultures that when you act on that, it becomes profoundly powerful and successful from that structure of Mm. energy or that part of, you know, existing. And Mm. I've often thought of this Sato Pradhan energy, which is that stage of the soul, which I feel writers like yourself, you live in that a lot. You live in a sort of a state of that energy builds in you, and then the thought emerges, and then you put it on paper, and I think that's why so many of your books become so impactful. For so when people reading it, they're picking up the power of your mind at the time mm-hmm. when you were writing it. Mm-hmm. But having grown up in a very strict and a traditional household, I believe you later on decided to pursue
1: your spiritual path. What was happening? How did you get on that journey? Well, what started to happen? A few things. One, by way of background, I had moved from New York City where I had lived all of my adult life, you know, from college on, and where I met my husband and where I had my baby, we moved from the city to the country, uh, to rural Connecticut. We did that in the wake of the September 11th, and also in the wake of our our son, who is now a thriving um, 14-year-old, his having been very sick as a baby, very nearly lost him. And so there was this feeling of tremendous... There was anxiety, there was heartbreak, there was fear, and there was a feeling of not being able to control the universe. Surprise, surprise. I had always thought that somehow the universe was somehow within my control. I would would be that person on an airplane. I was very afraid of flying, and I would be that person who would never dream of falling asleep or taking my attention off the fact that the plane was in the air for one single solitary second, because if I did surely the plane would crash. I mean, I oh. was taking the plane aloft. That was me. And, and so we moved to the country. We were very much, my little family and I, we very much were seeking peace, I guess. And, and we got here, and I found myself, you know, a young mother. Every day I would go about my, my work, my, my writing, my taking care of my child and driving and doing errands and, grocery shopping and putting food on the table and having dinner and cleaning up and finally going to bed. And then at three o'clock in the morning, every single night, like clockwork, I would wake up. It was like something was nudging me awake and the feeling was something was wrong. Something was, there was something I didn't know. There was something I didn't have access to and it kept on nudging me awake. Like I would just spend the whole day being busy. And then, when I wasn't busy anymore, and when my body and mind were quiet, this feeling would come over me, and I understood it to be a spiritual crisis. You know, I I Hmm. thought, what I had, I had left. You know, I had come from this very strict upbringing, but I had left it behind. It wasn't, it didn't resonate with me. But when I left it behind, I left everything behind. It was as if, if I, as if I felt that I couldn't have a spiritual life if I didn't have the one that I was born with, born into. And so, like, if it was all or nothing, then all the only option was nothing. This is now about five, six years ago, I began to, you know, I don't know how I knew. I just knew that what I needed to do was to open myself, to open myself to everything that was around me, I felt that my teachers were that I was surrounded by my teachers that I had only not been able to recognize them. I just began it was like this turning point I was going to say yes instead of saying no. I was going to open my eyes instead of closing them or just squinting, and I was going to see what happened and it was extraordinary those shifts that were not i mean they were small and they were profound you know and 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 in those shifts, I began to instantly i mean i live on 10 acres in the middle of absolutely nowhere but instantly my teachers began to appear (laughs) and i began to see the a path kind of just unfurl in front of me just a little bit at a time and i just kept on taking step by step down that path and i had a long time yoga practice i had been meditating, kind of off and on, struggling, attempting to, but always felt that I couldn't do it or I couldn't do it perfectly or I couldn't do it well. And all that kind of began. And, and, and also, the other piece of it was my childhood, and the religion of my childhood, and feeling like, well, is it possible to take, to build a spiritual life? Is it possible to take wisdom from different traditions and build out of it something? resonant and authentic and rich and meaningful. And I had always felt that that wasn't an okay thing to do. And Mm -hmm. the further I went down this path, the more I discovered in my teachers and in myself that it was an incredibly powerful and discerning and beautiful thing to, to not... Close off different pieces of wisdom because maybe they weren't from the tradition that you were born into. Or I felt like I was stitching together a quilt, and I still do. I mean, I, I wrote my book Devotion during that time, but it, I've continued to feel that I'm just stitching a little bit more every day.
2: Yeah, it is a stitch. Now, challenges. Because I think many of us, when we get onto the path of spirituality, when I was in my early twenties, or let's go back to maybe eighteen, nineteen when it first was introduced to me. The thought in my mind was I can't do that. There's no mm-hmm. way I can do what they're doing and be sort of like a saint or such a goody two shoe. I know myself. Mm-hmm. But the, the the amazing thing was when I was twenty four and I actually got onto the journey, I wasn't questioning if I could do it or not. I didn't know if I could all I knew is that I had to take the first step. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you did that a few years ago. And Mm -hmm. whilst we're traveling now, we're on the journey, the challenges that we emerge, can you share with us some of those? Because for me, my challenges were mostly rooted in the ego attaching Mm -hmm. itself to some past impression of myself and Mm -hmm. thinking to bring that person into my present Creation of who I had become, and that was where the challenges started to emerge for me. Mm. Oh, I love what
1: you what you what you said about algae. I love that. You know, I, when I when I first embarked on the journey, and I began to write the book at the same time, and the reason for that was because of what I said before. As a writer, it's how I understand it, everything. You know that it's it's my instrument. It's my it's my flashlight. It's my candle, and so. When I began writing and I saw that it was, you know, coming out in all of these little pieces, I thought, well, what's this? Why these little pieces? And the realization over time was that spiritual journeys are rocky. They're not fluid and smooth. And I somehow think, you know, it was like a fairy tale I think I had internalize the idea that once you're on this path that somehow it's smooth. The challenges for me, I mean, they continue. You know, as soon as I arrive at a certain place of understanding or of kind of, you know, an, a new plateau, it's just a plateau. I mean, it's, it's work that I hope to engage in for the rest of my life. You know, the, the feeling of like, oh, look, my, my greed has gotten in the way today. Look at that. Huh, greed, or my ego, or, I mean, this is just a ridiculous example, but it's today's example. So I just bought beautiful new drapes for my living room. It's the first thing that I have done for my home in probably ten years. And we have two dogs, and one of the dogs decided to (laughs) pee all over the living room rug. So, like, I'm, like, here, has spent half, My morning today, looking at other carpets on the Internet, instead of doing my yoga practice, instead of writing, instead of meditating, instead of taking a walk, instead of reading, or ten other deadlines that I have, no, I spent the morning looking at carpets, because the idea of that kind of imperfection, you know, the idea of living with a big stain on my carpet in my brand new was going to be perfect living room. You know, and I can tell the story on myself and laugh about it because there's a big part of me that gets how ridiculous that is, but there's also still, of course, a part of me that just doesn't want to have a stain on my living room carpet. And that's like, to me, that's kind of the spiritual work for me is in the everyday. It's how do I travel the country on book tour, maintain a sense of, inner inner peace and harmony how do i go on oprah's super soul sunday um, which was an extraordinary experience the next morning wake up and just just be little old me going back to work you know how to all of these questions you know questions of being a mother being a wife being a friend being a member of a, of a community being a daughter-in-law being you know all of the different roles that i have in my life and these are, you know, it's like the householder challenges, like just this is I want to be able to, you know, be in some kind of headspace where the stain on the carpet wouldn't bother me at all and I would just, oh, look at that, a stain on the carpet. Oh well. But, you know, it's that's that's not where I that's not where I am, but I think that the difference is in being able to kind of have the mind that can see it and have an awareness even as I stumble along and just
2: begin. I hear you. I hear you. And I think you are highly recommended to want to keep a house clean, and there's nothing at all wrong with that. (laughs) You know, I can hear you because what I've come to understand on the path of spirituality, I become a master based on how I handle the small things,
0: Mm -hmm. not the big things. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it's not being best seller, the best mm-hmm. mother, the best wife. It's mm-hmm. it was just in those small things, the way I handled the puppy when he beat on the carpet. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, and that's where I believe a lot of us bump ourselves up in spirituality. That it's the way I observe myself in the small things.
1: That if it comes. Well, and, in, the, and in and yes, and in the moment to moment, right in the.
2: That's exactly, exactly.
0: Mean,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it how, you know, these these virtues emerge instead of the algae. You know, anger mm-hmm. is replaced by peace, lust, mm-hmm. purity, greed, contentment, joy, attachment, love, ego, mm-hmm. wisdom, mm-hmm. self-respect. And I think on our journey of spiritual realization or enlightenment, it's all about how I can raise the percentage of my virtues mm-hmm. and qualities as a person to be honest with you, I don't know when we, any of us take our last breath if we're going to do it in a state that we think we're supposed to do it. I believe mm-hmm. that when we take our last breath in this particular role that we're playing, it should be a breath taken from love and with love.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's how I'm mm-hmm. supposed to exit because I mm-hmm. believe I came into the story with love.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, when you told me that story, I can completely relate to that because we have a new puppy called Love. It's a part of this huh. new television show that we're involved with. In, and all that puppy's doing all over the ashram is things you don't want me to talk about.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and I have to watch myself. That's why I could understand your plight. It's okay. It's what a puppy's supposed to do. My question mm-hmm. is, is this what I want to have happening all the time? No. Let me find somewhere that the puppy can be much more comfortable. Than mm-hmm. creating this in an ashram setting, so I think it helps us to understand our tolerance level of ourselves and just the way we're going to handle the big things when they actually do show up and they do show right. up.
1: Right. That's so. You know, the the, the great writer William Styron had this uh, wonderful phrase, you know, about writing and about getting to work, where he he talked about the fleas of life and you know, cause just the, the the little the little things, you know, the the, the doorbell ringing, the, I mean, writers are, you know, constantly um, struggling with distraction, and, you know, uh, so all of the little things that get in the way, the, you know, the email, the phone ringing, the dog pees on the rug, these are the little things. The, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I've extrapolated that or come to think of it as, you know, then there's the gorillas of life, right? You know, there's the there's the lions and, you know, bears of life, and those come along when they come along, and i think you know you're so right that those are those are uh generally we 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 can rise to those occasions those are um those are the occasions that as a human being you you hope you rise to but it's the it's the small the everyday the you know do you do you honk at the you know the elderly man in front of you at the traffic light who isn't moving when it turns green you know or do you have compassion and understand that uh you know, that right. someday you will, you will be that elderly man and that he's probably scared and, and, and doesn't see very well. And, you know, it's, right. it's all it, the, the the coming at every moment or as many moments as possible from a place of that kind of equanimity and compassion. And it's those moments, enough of those moments strung together make up a life. Sure
2: do. Sure do, Danny, And I believe in that. And, you know, when you sit on the stage for Super Soul Sunday, You stepped up there because of all those little victories you're having in day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. And I've not been there, so I don't know what it feels like, but I've certainly had my moments of being involved with incredible things in life that was shaping consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I believe how I was able to understand if I was authentically working on myself Mm -hmm. is that when I was on the major stages or Mm -hmm. if I was sitting in my office alone, that I felt Mm -hmm. like the same person. Yes. To, exactly. Yes. You know what I'm saying?
1: I know exactly what you're saying and that was for me. I mean, this was only um last month that I was on Super Soul Sunday and I remember the feeling when I was getting ready to go to Chicago to to tape it. The in, the old people were saying to me, "Oh, are you going to get media training? Are you going to rehearse?" And and I absolutely knew that that was not what I needed to do and that what I needed to do was do everything i could to to be in the moment and to be truly and authentically myself i remember one of the producers right before i went on the show said to me all you need to do is be yourself and and i remember at the at the moment thinking being yourself is the work being yourself can be hard work there's so many ways in which our egos or our insecurity tells us oh i should be this way or i should be that way and the feeling i mean subsequent to the show airing so many people who know me well have come up to me and said you looked so relaxed and mm. i was i was mm. i was genuinely relaxed in a very potentially uh unrelaxing high stakes incredible meant, yeah. situation but it but it didn't feel that way what it felt and this was this was actually a piece of wisdom that somebody gave me just a week or so before I went on the show, which was this wonderful um, woman said to me, if you are curious, you cannot be self-conscious. So be curious. And I just thought that was an incredible piece of dharma, just generally, the feeling of, you know going through life with genuine kind of openness and curiosity and and i just wanted to walk away from that day feeling like i had been yes the same person that is sitting here in her blue jeans in her office right now talking right. to you on the phone or and, right. and that's to be that in life i think is just in every situation thing i i hope i hope to do i hope and and i think every day again you know it's one of the reasons again of why why writing is is for me such a spiritual act, it's like every day is a blank page, every day is a new beginning, you know every day is a new mountain to climb, every moment is, and, and in the same way as you know when I finish one book, I don't know how to write the next book, I just know how to write the book I've already written, right right I hear so, you, you know, there's never a magic place of arrival, and I think so many people feel like oh there's a there's a, a place at which. We stop and say, "Okay, this is good i 'm good here. You know the view's nice i 'll stay here and the moment that we do that, we stop we stop evolving. We stop learning
2: like that. Friend told you always have this spirit of curiosity, and i don 't know if you've ever heard of my spiritual mentor daddy janky d a d i janky and she 's ninety eight years old, head of this woman ran spiritual movement called the Brahma who you know whenever. Mm-hmm. We have to encounter patriarchal energies. It's always interesting to them, sort of like, oh, you really think you guys are going to change the world? And we've had to endure a lot of those issues along the journey. Mm -hmm. But Daddy, at the age of 98, who has lived it for the last 80 years of her life, will Mm -hmm. still ask this fundamental question in her session. She'll say, who am I? Mm -hmm. Who am I? And the question that she keeps raising herself is to go deeper into Evolving into what I would say, this is my interpretation, an experience of her complete sense of freedom as a soul. Mm-hmm. And we can't declare ourselves free if we're still caught up in our name, gender, role, title, what I did do, what I didn't do, what I should have done. This concept of I with the ego, me and mine, I think perhaps our lesson. A 98-year-old yogi What was it that inspired you to go into that concept of writing, or was there anything that you learned in writing
1: Devotion? Did it change you? Oh, well, Devotion, I think, of all of my books, changed me the most because that was the book that began with my 3 a.m. wake-up calls of, of just, you know, what is what is happening, you know, why is this happening, and what do I believe, you know, what what do what is it to believe, what do I believe. And, it, you know, it, it began really when my, my son, who was then... A, a, a young boy was asking me those kinds of questions, and I felt like I had to, a way of having spiritual dialogue with him, and I couldn't begin to have one if I wasn't having it with myself. Um, so, that, now, devotion changed me enormously, and, you know, when I finished devotion, the feeling that I had was that I really just wanted to spend the rest of my life writing that book. Um, mm-hmm. But the book had, I finished the book, but I wanted to spend the rest of my life in that exploration, and and I am you know the, the the book was finished, and the book came out and But the journey that I embarked on is ongoing and then my most recent book, which is called "Still Writing: You know the Perils and Pleasures of a Creative Life," is in certain ways, although I never would have I wouldn't have been able to articulate this at the time, but in certain ways it is a real spiritual kind of companion to devotion because it's it's writing as a spiritual practice. You know, it's very much about what formed me as a writer, and it's kind of my love letter to everyone who who writes or who does anything creative. And and it came out of I've taught for a long time, and it, it came out of those those years of teaching and having students and of having that sacred relationship of writer to writer, you know, teacher to student. So and it's just it continues. I never know. I have. If you were to say to me. What, what is your next book? What are you going to write now? I, I have no idea. Um, it, for me, staying in that place of openness and noticing and paying attention and waiting, you know, real patience to see what emerges next and not mm. forcing, not forcing out of all of those algae, you know, out of all of those, out of fear, out of, out of grasping, out of uh, ego, you know, so many things can make a writer want to grasp and think I better figure this out right away and believe so, me, I have plenty of days where I, I have to <laughs> i have to really fight that feeling, but but that's not feeling that good work comes from for any artist it can't come out of fear, it can't come out of ego yeah, it's got to come out of true essence of the soul, I, I
2: totally agree with that. Danny, I'd love for us to continue with this conversation, it's been beautiful and I've Really appreciated your
1: thought. I so enjoyed um, speaking with you. And I. I wrote I wrote down, is it Sato, Prad, Pradhan? It's S-A-D-O,
2: which means mm-hmm. absolute purity. And mm-hmm. Pradhan, P-R-A-D-H-A-N, means complete. And it really connects to when that moment of silence hits wisdom.
1: Mm. And what emerges
2: from that has got to be good, because it's pure.
1: Right. Silence hits wisdom. I love
2: that. So as we close our show off, we would love to find out how we can get a hold of you. Please share with us your favorite lifeboat. It's currently that you're living by and keep doing the good
1: work that you're doing. Oh, Thank you so much. Well, to get a hold of me, my website is www.dannyshapiro.com That's D-A-N-I, Um Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O .com I'm also on Facebook. I have a Fan page on Facebook and people can find me there or on Twitter Even though we talk about how noisy the world is. I'm Danny J. Shapiro on Twitter. Gosh I have so many favorite quotes. I I keep these tiny little books near me all the time with quotes that I um, That I write down all the time and I just as you said that went over and picked one up because there's this beautiful passage that somehow relates to what we've been talking about this is from ralph Waldo emerson and it begins a man but we could say a woman right Um, (laughs) a man should learn to detect and to to detect and watch that gleam of light which flashes across his mind from within more than the luster of the firmaments of bards and sages yet he dismisses it without notice his thought because it is his in every work of genius we recognize our own discarded thoughts they come back to us with a certain alienated majesty. I just love that you know we we discard we discard our own brilliance because it is ours, you know oh, that gleam oh, of light, it. that gleam of light, you know man must learn to detect and watch that gleam of light which flashes across his mind, oh, uh, oh yeah, I he love dis- it. dismisses without notice because it is his, mm. yeah. Love it. That's my way of it. We are definitely
2: meant to shine on and shine brightly. And on behalf of all of us here at America Meditating, we wish for you, Danny, to keep shining brightly and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, and I I enjoyed myself. Me too.
2: So take good care. So as we continue to understand ourselves more through beautiful spirits like Danny who their thoughts on paper to let us know more about the whole shift of life and the whole shift of how we evolve in our own journey thought by thought moment by moment we wish you all very well we thank you for joining us for another america meditating show and we're going to close it off with message home by bliss now remember i always say at the end of every show no one can take away your happiness unless you give it up but lately i've been telling everyone you've got to learn to love everybody the same if you want to understand